Hi, this is Nathan. Before we get to the episode, I want to invite you to join me on an incredible adventure this November of 2024. I am taking a small group of believers to Turkey, what the New Testament called Asia Minor, for a 12-day Bible study tour of the early church. We'll be studying the book of Acts and many of the epistles on location as we visit ancient cities like Ephesus, Laodicea, Heropolis, Antioch, Pergamum, and many more. If you are interested in joining me this November for a once-in-a-lifetime adventure as we study where much of the New Testament and early church took place, you can learn more by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. And if you're interested, don't delay. Spots are limited and on a first-come, first-served basis, and a $100 discount is available if you register before May 27th. I do hope you can join me. And again, more information is available at deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. Now, here's the episode. Welcome to episode 211 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I want to talk about true holiness. Let's dive in. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, this is what the writer of Hebrews declares. He says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Isn't it interesting that without holiness, we will not see the Lord? Biblically, holiness is an incredibly important thing. And yet in today's culture, it seems like we've totally misunderstood what holiness and righteousness really is. I think for a lot of us, holiness has become a list of do's and don'ts. Uh, I should do this, I should do this, and I can't do this, 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 (laughs) this. When in reality, the idea of holiness and righteousness biblically is never a negative thing. Even though some people see it as legalistic or see it as a, oh, bummer, I can no longer do these things that I want to do. The reality is every time the concept of holiness or righteousness shows up in scripture, it's always a positive thing. In other words, it's actually a great thing to walk in holiness. It is amazing. It is tremendous to live with righteousness. Again, it's interesting to me that as you go back, you know, a hundred years or so, there's this great holiness movement, which I think is, which is a great idea. The problem with the holiness movement is that the holiness movement became merely a legalistic list of do's and don'ts. And it kind of put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths when the word holiness or righteousness is used. It was used in the sense of, well, I can no longer do certain things or I'm now required to do things. But what if holiness and righteousness wasn't at all a list about do's and don'ts? I've said this before on the podcast, but if you found all the right things to do, go out and do them all, you'd still die and go to hell. Because the reality is heaven and hell is not based upon a list of do's and don'ts. It's all based on relationship. So when we're talking about holiness and righteousness, we got to remember that it's, it's far bigger or beyond just merely a checklist. 
Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He says, Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That you, think about this, you have been chosen before the foundation of the world. In other words, even before God spoke light into existence, you were on his mind. And his purpose and his plan for your life is that you would be holy and without blame or blemish before him in love. There's an amazing reality that this idea of holiness or righteousness really bespeaks of the idea of God's character and or his nature. In other words, it's as God is, and it is as man and woman are supposed to be. In other words, as you look at this idea of holiness, holiness, the word itself has this idea of set apartness. It's the idea of unlike something. So when we're speaking about God and it is declared that he is holy, 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 it is a reminder that he is unlike us, unlike us, unlike us, or he is set apart, set apart, set apart. And we as believers are called to walk in that very same reality. As 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 tells us, Peter says, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And that language is that term, that holiness, that be holy as I am holy, is used several times in the book of Leviticus very specifically. In other words, God is inviting us to share in his very heart, in his nature, in his character. Now, you don't become God. We understand that. But he is offering this set apartness that we are not to be like the culture around us. And yet, as the modern church, if, if you look at how we are living, there's not much difference between us and the world around us. And yet God says, you are to be holy, just as I am holy. That because you are my people and you bear my name, do you realize that just as I am set apart and unlike the world around you, so too you must be holy and set apart and different than the world around you. If you come back into that Ephesians 1-4 passage, again, God has chosen us before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blame or without blemish before him in love. And there's this beautiful reality of that phrase before him. It gives this connotation in the Greek of standing before a judge and the judge is scrutinizing this individual and he's looking and he's, he's examining and trying to see if there's any fault. And the idea here is that if we were standing before the Lord, would he see any unholiness, any sin, any tarnish, any flesh or any blemish within us? Gulp. I mean, I think all of us would say, uh, yes, in fact, I am not as I should be. And so we need to remember that as we're standing before him, his desire is actually that we would be pure and holy and righteous and unlike the world around us. Rather, we are to be like the judge himself. But what's beautiful about that phrase before him is that it gives us idea that it is only when we are before him that we become holy. So this month, we've been talking about this idea of holiness and righteousness. And if you missed last episode where we talked about the name Yahweh or Jehovah Mekadishkim, 
this idea that God is the one who sanctifies us. I told you that in this particular episode, I want to flesh this out a little bit more and talk about how do we become holy? In other words, if God is calling us to be holy as he is holy, well, how on earth are we going to pull that off? For as Isaiah 64, 6 says, for all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. So even our best attempts at righteousness are filthy rags. It's a filthy garment. It's just a piece of cloth that's become all bloody and it's now just, well, it's just to be thrown out in the trash. And so if yours and my best attempt at living a holy or righteous life is but filthy rags, well, how are we going to do this? Well, it goes back to God's character. If he is Jehovah Mekadishkim, if he's the one who sanctifies us, then we must realize that we cannot clean up ourselves. I've said this so many times before, but I think it's a beautiful picture that Jesus was willing to be born in a stable, that in the midst of the muck and the grime of this world, he did not, he was not born in a palace. He was not born in a, in a hospital. He was born in a mucky stable full of animals and droppings and hay. And yet here's the beauty of it. Though he is willing to be born into a stable, he desires it not to remain a stable. It's an incredible picture of our life in the gospel that he is willing to come into our lives in the midst of all the muck and all the mire and all the sin. And yet he refuses to leave us this way that his desire is that we would grow up and become a temple of the Holy Spirit. So yes, he is willing to be born into a mucky stable called you or me, yet he refuses. He loves you far too much to leave you that way, that he actually wants to share his heart, his character with us, that we are to be godly. We are to be Christ-like in this world. In 2 Peter 1.4, Peter talks about this fact that We've been given these exceedingly great and precious promises that we might be partakers of the divine nature. Well, if we are going to partake of his divine nature, now again, it's not that you become God, but if we get a share in his life, do you realize what that's going to do in our lives, what that's going to demand, what that's going to change is that it's going to make you holy. It's going to make you righteous because how are we unrighteous beings ever going to have relationship with the one who is holy? So let's put all this together. You are called to be holy as he is holy. That even before the foundations of the world, God chose you to be before him as holy and without blemish. So again, if he is the one who sanctifies us, if he's Jehovah Mekadishkim, well, how does he bring that about? If, if the best attempts that I have at righteousness and holiness and purity is but filthy rags, well, how on earth am I going to live how I'm supposed to live as a Christian in this world? So here's the secret. If you want to know how to live a holy life, here it is. You need to embrace the one who is holy. I know that sounds incredibly simple, but that that's the secret. <laughs> that you, an unholy person, the only option you have to become holy is to embrace the one who is holy. God himself is the only one who is intrinsically holy. 
meaning he's the only one in and of himself who is by nature holy. And so here we are, an unclean thing. Here we are full of sin and depravity and, and, and just muck, right? We have, we have all this flesh and carnal nature stuff going on within us. Well, how are we going to, how are we going to become holy? Well, you can't clean yourself up. If the flesh tries to clean up the flesh, it only ends up producing more flesh, which is the beauty of crucifixion. We are told that you were crucified with Christ. Therefore, no longer I live, but it is Christ who lives within me. Well, if I've been crucified with Christ, do you realize that that means that I've gone to the cross? And the beauty of the cross is the fact that, and I've said this so many times before, but crucifixion is the only means of death that I know of that you cannot commit suicide by. Someone has to nail you upon the tree. And yes, you could get one hand and you could probably get your feet, but man, you have a hard time getting that other hand nailed to the cross, which means someone's going to have to bring you to the point of death. Wouldn't it be amazing if this wasn't about you and your attempts of cleaning yourself up and your attempts of, of trying to walk in goodness and righteousness and holiness? What if this was actually all about Jesus? See, the secret to holiness is embracing the one who is holy. And let me just give you two quick examples of this idea to maybe just give an illustration of what this looks like practically. There was this shepherd by the name of Moses, right? He was a grew up in Egypt, ran from Pharaoh, went into the land of Midian, and for 40 years was a shepherd. Well, one day at the end of these 40 years, he was up on this mountain, and, and likely he'd been on this mountain countless times. In fact, he was probably there the day before. But on this particular day, as he's walking along this mountain, this bush starts to burn. And so as he goes to investigate the bush, the bush speaks to him and says, Hey, Moses, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. Now, if I was Moses, I would have looked at the bush and said, uh, Mr. Bush, <clears throat> uh, I was just here yesterday and the ground was not holy. In fact, I've got sheep all over this mountain and sheep are eating and sheep are doing what they do after they eat. And let me tell you, there's this place is not holy. So here's the question. What changed that place from being unholy to suddenly being a place that demands worship because God has shown up? Why? What made it holy? Well, it was the very presence of the Lord. And when God showed up on the scene, that place that was always unholy has now become holy. There's another picture of this in uh, when David is bringing the ark into Jerusalem. And if you remember the story, they put it on an ox cart and the ox stumbles and Uzzah reaches out and touches the ark in order to keep it from falling off, which I actually look at and go, well, that makes a lot of sense. If the ark of God was falling off an ox cart, I'd reach out and try to hold it up there too. Now we do know that they were bringing the ark in, in an improper fashion. The priests were supposed to have been carrying it. However, when Uzzah reaches out and touches that ark, he immediately falls down dead. Why? Well, because the ark is holy. Now, when you go back and look at how the ark was made, you realize someone had to cut down the timber. Someone had to take the gold and wrap it around the wood. And, and there was people putting their hands all over the ark all the time. So what was the difference this time when Uzzah reached out and touched the ark? Well, it's because when they dedicated the ark and they consecrated it with the blood, that the presence of the Lord was there. So that which was unholy has now been made holy. 
What if that would happen in your life? Yes, the best you can produce, the best you can pull off is but filthy rags. But what if God showed up in the midst of your life and that which was unholy now became holy? See, that is the secret to holiness. The secret to holiness isn't, you know, gritting your teeth and taking cold showers and following a list of do's and don'ts. That becomes legalism. Legalism is attempting to live as I ought to live out of my own resource, out of my own ability, out of my own strength. But what if it wasn't me trying to be holy? What if it wasn't me trying to produce holiness? What if it was me wrapped up embracing God himself, just wrapping myself in relationship and intimacy with him? You realize that if I would embrace Jesus, I couldn't help but become holy. Because the one who is holy is going to start making me holy. As the writer of Hebrews says again, that we are to pursue holiness without which no one will be able to see the Lord. If you desire Jesus, if you desire to walk in the fullness of what he has called you to in this day, in this hour, in this generation, you are called to be holy as he is holy. But you need to remember that he is Jehovah Mekadishkim. He is the one who sanctifies you. He's the one that's going to bring this about. Now, yes, you need to walk in obedience. Yes, you need to press in. And yes, you do need to embrace him because it isn't the embrace of the one who is holy that you will find yourself being made holy. May I encourage you, don't turn within yourself and out of your own good works, out of your own wisdom or talent or ability to somehow bring about a good, righteous behavior. Again, the best you can do is filthy rags. What if instead you would freshly turn your gaze upon the Lord and say, Jesus, would you make me holy as you are holy? That somehow in the midst of me embracing you, could you take every aspect in every area of my life and would you begin to transform it in a very powerful way that it's me not gritting my teeth and me attempting and trying But Lord, I will walk in obedience. And as I walk in obedience, I want to keep my eyes steadfast upon you. And as I keep progressing and pursuing you, would you take my life, which has always been unholy, it's always been filthy rags, and would you produce holiness in the very depths of my being? Well, I hope that's just a refreshing reminder of what holiness really is and what it is not. Now, next week, we're going to talk about a few different practicals when it comes to this idea of holiness. In fact, I want to give you five key things when it comes to this idea of holiness. So I hope you'll join me next week as we talk further about this idea of what does it mean to live a righteous, holy life in these days in which we live. Well, thank you, as always, for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. For show notes of this episode, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 211 for episode 211. And until next time, know I am cheering you on as you embrace the one who is holy, Jesus Christ himself.